Wow. Are we in church? I think uh, you showed up on the right cold day. In, it's still February, right? We've been working on that. We've been figuring this out. All right. It's, uh, it's not a series. It's a season of, of Lent. And uh, we're going to come back to what we were just praying in a moment. But uh, Scott was just mentioning this, our, our Lent Bible reading plan. Uh, it's really easy to follow us on YouVersion. Uh, no matter where you are, there's a, a ton of us doing this together. It started on Wednesday. It doesn't mean that everyone has to have started on Wednesday. You can start today if this is your first day hearing of it or you want to jump in. Uh, and you don't have to catch up, but you, you certainly can catch up. And, and I'll explain why. It's because every... Friday and Saturday until Easter weekend, we'll be reading the Gospel of Mark until we've completed that. And so our, our messages Sunday morning will come out of what we were just reading, which has to do with what we were just praying. And part of this, as you're going to see, is that there actually has been glimpses of momentum, uh, but we want to see momentum from the starting line series all the way through Lent to Easter weekend and, and kind of capping off with baptisms. We want to celebrate life change. Uh, we were just singing, it's, it's Jesus' resurrection that leads to our resurrection. And so we are building momentum for that. And here's one of the things that we're going to do uh, to, to get there uh, on uh, Time Change Sunday, which is March the 12th. We're going to have a service time change. We're actually going to meet in one service at 10 a.m. And, uh, and it's spring ahead. You know what it is like you spring ahead uh, this time of year and then in the fall you, you fall back. Well, we're springing ahead. We're not going back. We're actually moving forward together. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper, communion together in one service at one time online in the room. Uh, we're going to have a connect brunch after that service uh, on March the 12th to uh, all about community. And here's one other thing that we're going to do. Invite isn't strong enough of a word, uh, but let me share this. We're going to have pre service prayer at 9.15, beginning that Sunday. And what I learned when we were at South Campus, that was the, uh, the multi-site that we did for about 100 straight weeks in, uh, in the Regent Mall, Cineplex. Uh, what we found, although we had a service at, at 10 a.m., the service was fine. The, the, the moments that we remember as a community, as a, as a team, as a, as a family, people that were brought in during that time, 9.15 a.m. on a Sunday morning was our favorite time. It just was. The, the, the fact that sometimes a projector wouldn't be working or, or sometimes uh, something wouldn't, the sound wasn't coming out of our system. You know, we loaded in at 7 or 7.30 in the morning uh, on a cold day like this and also in the summer. And it was really built on volunteers, built on people willing to do that. But we would pause no matter what at 9.15 and we would meet in the lobby of a movie theater that smelled like greasy popcorn. And we would pray together, and we would start by sharing something like Kim was just praying. We would start by sharing uh, either a praise report, uh, like a serious one. Here's how God's already moving. And then we would take requests, and we noticed that people who at first weren't as comfortable sharing that became more comfortable to share that. And we, if we were keeping a, 
a list in front of us, we would see how much God was doing. And so we're, we're inviting you to do that. The teams, no matter who's volunteering, uh, some of us have to, have to start much earlier than that. But no matter what, we're going to stop at 9.15. Maybe you want to come in uh, for 9.14 because we're starting at 9.15 and, and, and we'll all be staring at you if you come in at 9.15. So please do that. We're going to be doing that. And so in this season, we're actually going to build momentum together. We're doing this together. We're reading together. We're praying together. We're taking the Lord's Supper together. All of this March the 12th. Uh, don't miss that at 10 a.m. Not moving backward. We're actually moving forward together. We're going to build momentum going into Easter. We feel like God's up to something right here. And as we're reading the Gospel of Mark together, I just want to remind you that we're not reading the Gospel of Mark through Lent to finish it. Although we will, by the time we get to Easter weekend, we will complete, we will read those chapters in the Gospel of Mark. But we're not reading it just to, to click in you version, yeah, done, I've, I've completed my reading today. No, we're doing it to be changed. We're doing it to see what God has for us, to be reminded, or to see for the first time with fresh eyes, this is what Jesus is up to today. This is what he's up to today. And so with that, uh, we're going to read. And so um, those of you that have already uh, read uh, Mark chapter 1 on Friday, Mark chapter 2 uh, yesterday on Saturday, uh, well, we're going to come in kind of at the end of chapter 1, the beginning of chapter 2, and then we're, we're going to dive in. And so starting at verse 40 in chapter 1, a man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean, he said, and moved with compassion. And the asterisks, if you look down, old manuscripts actually say moved with anger. Not anger with the man, not angry about the request, but angry at the sickness, angry at the leprosy. But moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed and instantly the leprosy disappeared. The man was healed. Then Jesus sent him on his way with a stern warning. Don't tell anyone about this. Instead, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. But the man went and spread the word, proclaiming to everyone what had happened. As a result, large crowds soon surrounded Jesus. He couldn't publicly enter a town anywhere. He had to stay out in the secluded places, but people from everywhere kept coming to him. The start of chapter 2 reads this way. When Jesus returned to Capernaum, several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. And while he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole in the roof above his head, and then they lowered the man on a mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law were sitting there, thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? So I will prove 
to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. And they were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, We have never seen anything like this before. Father, we thank you for, for this reading and some of us rereading it today to be reminded of, of something you've done. And we sing about what you've done in the past. We want to praise you for what you're doing right now. And so we're praying. Many of us have different thoughts on, on our mind right now about something we would bring to you as an individual or, or maybe how we could carry someone to you in this moment as we were just praying. Whatever that is, would you activate our faith in this moment to believe that this isn't just something that might have happened a few thousand years ago, but something that could be happening in our midst right now. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I, uh, I've got my physical Bible, but I, I printed out uh, part of the passage to kind of make notes, and so I have it kind of just scattered in, in front of me now so I can glance down and if... I forget something, I can, I can look and see what's going on. And we're going to focus a little bit more on the second of the two stories, but I think the first one helps us to set up the tone, and, and I think it seems appropriate that we were looking at this right now. And so we're going to look at when Jesus returns back to Capernaum, and, and uh, earlier, just before the reading we were doing, but if you were reading chapter 1 on Friday, you would have seen that after they left the synagogue in, in, in chapter 1 with James and John, they went to Simon and Andrew's home. And, and so Simon's mother-in-law was sick in bed with a high fever. Jesus healed her. And uh, so they're, they're in their home in, in this. It doesn't specify whose home it is. Some even speculate it could be the, the home that Jesus is staying in, though, not just invited to, to preach. Doesn't really matter which, which it is, but he's in this home and crowds have, have found out he's there. And so he's surrounded so much so that people couldn't get through the door anymore. And there were people outside the home and there's this flat roof. And so um, these gentlemen, whether they're, they're best friends or not with this paralyzed man, they, they climb up, they, they make this hole. There's, there's definitely indications even throughout the New Testament that people would often stand on their roof or, or, or do things up there. It was almost like a porch or a, a back deck that we would have, they would also sometimes use almost like a skylight to, to create, to either add light or to have a little bit more air. But in this moment, these guys are, are actually just bringing debris down on Jesus and everyone around him. And, and so when, uh, when they're, they're hearing Jesus preach this word and he looks up and sees what's happening, can you just picture the dust falling? Can you, can you picture just, just gunk falling down on Jesus and everyone there, and, and they don't really care because they're just trying to get their friend in front of Jesus. Have you ever been there? Maybe we are there today, and so Jesus is, is, uh, is preaching God's word, and, uh, and as he's doing this, people are being changed, and they have heard about these, these miracles, but there's even a miracle in, in his spoken word, what he's bringing, how he's illuminating uh, what God has set up in, in the past, and and so I noticed this, and maybe you did, that seeing their faith, so perhaps this paralyzed man is also part of their faith, but it took these men uh, a really uncomfortable kind of situation to, to not just labor over this man, getting him up 
onto the roof first and then lowering him down. How did they do that? What did their hands look like? Were they blistered afterward? It seems like they were willing to do this and look kind of foolish doing it. And so somehow Jesus, seeing their faith, says to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. He doesn't say, my child, your your illness, your sickness, your infirmity is, is gone. He didn't say that in the moment, but some even joke that, is he saying, yes, that your sins are forgiven, including the hole in the roof? You know, you just sent some dust down in my eyes here. I'm, I'm kind of busy. I'm preaching the word of God right now, but you're forgiven for that. Is he kind of also playful in that moment? But of course, these teachers of religious law who know all about sin, who know all about the law and, and everything that the law of Moses kind of brought, they thought to themselves, Maybe they murmured, but it says they thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy, which it was, which equals death. Only God can forgive sins. And so I marked a cross there because it's true. I believe that only God can forgive sins, and Jesus is here for that purpose. And Jesus immediately knew what they were thinking. This isn't the first time I've seen this before, but this is why he asks, why do you question this in your hearts? And so even now as, as we were praying and as we were thinking of, of what's going on and we're trying to piece together, what does God have for us even in this moment? Why do you question in your hearts? As in, why do you question negatively about what might be happening or may not be happening? But Jesus is trying to prove a point here. What is easier? It's actually hard to say what's easier for him to say your sins are forgiven. Well, if I could just say those words, that is technically easier, but I can't actually have the authority to do that. But Jesus is proving that he has the authority to do that. It's actually very difficult to say that, but he's going to prove that he is able to do this. And to say, stand up, pick up your mat and walk, that's also easy to come off your lips, but it's harder to actually affect change. And here he says it, and the man jumps up instantly, and he walks out. There, there's this immediate, there's this instantly, there's this fast, there's this, this idea that when Jesus speaks, things happen. And so that's what we're looking at today. But I want to point out this. It says that the news spread quickly of, of all that we were reading. And so when he was back home, people found out, and so it was packed with visitors, it says there was not even room outside the house. And so these guys had to kind of go around back and climb up onto the top. So think about this. There were crowds around Jesus. And whether or not it was Andrew and, and Peter's home and, and, and whether or not his mother-in-law was there and things like that, that doesn't really matter. But, but you can picture that the disciples are there. There's some teachers of religious law there. There are just people just coming to see, as we've been talking about. And so many so that they're just... A crowd kind of attracts a crowd. And James R. Edwards Jr. clarifies this, that being a part of the crowd around Jesus is not the same as being a disciple of Jesus. And so first of all, we do want people to come and see. But there is a difference between just simply being part of the crowd, being around him, and actually being a disciple, a follower of him under his authority. I love one of the first readings we did on, on Wednesday, uh, just a short verse that comes out of Joel, is return to the Lord your God, for he is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry, 
and filled with unfailing love. He is eager to relent and not punish. This is actually a theme of the Old Testament. I think it's easy to look at the Old Testament and, and kind of cherry pick moments where there's vengeance and there's all this negative stuff. But if you see the heart behind what God is trying to set up, he actually is a God who is he's merciful, he's, he's compassionate, he's slow to get angry, and he's filled with unfailing love. He's eager to relent and not punish. Jesus embodies this message. Jesus is this message. He proves it. And when we read the end of our passage in chapter 2, it says, we've never seen anything like this before. What are they saying? They've never seen authority and grace displayed like this before. Jesus has both. He has authority to actually speak in this moment, but also the grace to be patient, to to forgive. And so um, this man, remember, he came in. He couldn't even come in on his own. He came in through the roof, but he walked out the front door. It's incredible. The crowd is just stunned. It says he walked through stunned onlookers because they couldn't believe their eyes. And so this is what David Smith says The world seemed no longer to be functioning under the law, but under the grace of the one who knew what was in one's heart. There's something changing when Jesus arrives on the scene. He's fulfilling something. He's not abolishing the law, but he's fulfilling it. And there is grace as he he brings it. And so as we've been talking and as we've been looking, we wrapped up our starting line season uh, and series last week. Uh, Brad Dillon was up here sharing how the word that stood out to him and to Becky was respond. The word that we're actually looking for is, is response, is how do we respond to this? How do we respond to uh, the teaching? How do we respond to Jesus? How do we respond to the prompting of the Holy Spirit? And so I debated this, I, I, I contemplated this, I wrestled with this, I talked to Stephen about this, I, I just kind of chewed on this all week. There's this, this idea of, of God responding, which I think he is, and then there's this idea of us responding. And I don't know what's more surprising. And so maybe in this, you're, you're thinking this way, why would God respond this way? Why would he show up this way? Why would he heal this, this man in this way and forgive this other one this way? How would he, why would he respond in this way? And how would we respond? And so the question I'm asking, I don't know a better way to say it other than what's more surprising, God's action or our faith in action? What's more surprising when God actually does something or when we do something. And this is what I mean. Last week when I shared about the Bible reading plan, there were people that I don't think have, have read the Bible more than two days in a row ever in their life that are like, I'm in, I downloaded the app, I'm doing this. That's not because I just said we're doing a thing. I think it's because God's stirring in our hearts. And so what's more surprising, that God's actually active in that or that we are responding to God in faith? I think it takes both. And so this is what I want to highlight as we're looking into this passage and as we're going to continue. We're setting up something to build momentum, not for no reason, but to be changed even in this moment. Faith is action, not just thinking or feeling. Faith is action. Kim earlier couldn't have just said, that, that was neat, I have the faith to, to believe in this. But it was actually to, to take action, to, to move and to actually share something in, in this way. And not all of us will do it in that way, but, but it's not just thinking about it and oh, I feel like I should do this. It's actually moving your feet and doing it. 
It's when your friend is paralyzed and you, you get up on a roof and you blister your hands and, and you probably pull something and you realize you had muscles that you thought were dormant for many years and then all of a sudden they're aggravated. And, and you're doing this and you're making this mess to bring someone in front of Jesus, no matter how it looks, no matter if you look kind of silly or, or not, is that faith is actually action not just thinking or feeling, and you actually have to do something about it. And so what's more surprising? Sometimes I'm surprised when I say something that I feel like God has for us, and then someone responds. Uh, like when I was sharing about something a few weeks before baptism, and then George comes up to me with tears in his eyes and says, why can't I be baptized? Great question. There's no reason. If, if God is speaking to you right now and you know you have to do that, please do that. Let me help you to do that. That's, that's actually what it means to be the church. Faith isn't passive, response is required. And I think some of us forgot when we were looking through the, the chairs, you know, the four chairs that we looked at for so long. For, it wasn't a year long about that, that, that series, it was long enough. The kids got the chairs back, Gideon helped me carry it back downstairs, we're, we're good to go. But there's nothing passive about it. Even to go from the crowd and come and see into the, the believer chair, that's active, but you can't become passive once you get there. If this was only a hobby, it's the worst hobby. It, it really isn't a great hobby to come and sit here and, and listen to me talk. That's even, even to simply just read without doing something about it, that's really not what Christianity is. It's a way of life. And so my question is this, if I believe, and you can personalize this, if I believe God can do what I just read on Friday and Saturday and what we're reflecting on today, if I believe God can do that, what am I willing to do? How can he look at me and say, seeing John's faith, and then he can, he can respond back? What's more surprising here? So I'm, I'm wondering, if, if we believe God can do this, what am I willing to do? So I want to talk about the identity of Jesus that we're seeing in Mark already, only in these first couple chapters. We're seeing this identity, but we need to also reflect on our own because I think you're going to see that the entire gospel of Mark is a constant call to discipleship. It's a constant reminder of, of those who are, are following Jesus. It's a reminder for us that have already begun on that journey following him. And so the question, here's just a few examples we want to be the individual, either the one coming to be healed or, or even the one where our friends are lowering us down. We want to be one of those people. We even want to be one of the friends, one of the, one of the guys lowering the man in. But what if we're the crowd? Or even worse, what if we're one of the teachers of religious law? Thinking and questioning in our hearts, what is he even doing? Is this even true? So who do we want to be in this, and who are we in this moment? I think we need to be changed one way or the other. When it comes to the opening line of the Gospel of Mark, we read, this is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, and some manuscripts add, the Son of God. What you're going to see is that Son of God as a title is an assertion of a Gospel writer or New Testament follower or, or now of disciples. Um, in this exact moment, when Mark was probably putting this together, maybe from, from Peter's firsthand experience, part of it had to do with comparing and contrasting Caesar. 
who is also called the Son of God. And so part of it is saying, like, actually, we, we have another king, uh, and it's Jesus, and so he's the Son of God. But in this, you're hearing the, the, the term Son of Man, and that's the title that Jesus uses for himself. And throughout our reading in Mark, we're going to see that it happens at least 14 times. It's used as a messianic kind of prophecy. If you look back in Daniel, you could read chapter 7 if you want to know more about that. And sometimes it's, it's uh, apocalyptic. And sometimes it's about suffering, as in the Son of Man must suffer. But here we're going to highlight authority in our next couple moments. And, and this is what we've already read in two chapters of Mark, Friday, Saturday, reflecting today, is that Jesus, the Son of Man, has authority over spirits. He has authority over sickness and disease. That's fever, leprosy, paralysis. He has the authority to preach and to teach. When he says something, things happen, and he has the authority to forgive sins. And that's just in the first two chapters here. And, and here's really the highlight that we need to process today. Jesus does what only God can do because Jesus is the Son of God. That's my assertion today. Is it yours? Are you believing that this is actually true? Are you believing that God actually wants to respond? This is one of the ways he's already responded. Are we going to surprise ourselves by also responding back to him? And so the big question I'm left with, if I believe this and I do, what am I going to do about it? If I believe that, that he actually has this authority, we've learned and we talked about when we got to that fourth chair, the disciple maker one, we reflect back on the end of Matthew's gospel where Jesus, he's resurrected, he's, he's come and he said, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. If that's true, when he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you, and be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. If we believe he's been given all this authority, are we submitting ourselves under his authority? It's a call to discipleship. It's a wake-up call that there's nothing passive about being a follower of Jesus. It's actually quite, it's actually quite serious for us to choose to be under his authority. And so in a moment, the, the team's going to come and, and sing, and there's this line, I am desperate, I'm desperate for a touch of heaven. And I think you'll see that the man with leprosy that, that came and he, he kneels down in front of Jesus and he begs to be healed. If you were willing you can heal me and make me clean because in, in his culture, he was unclean. And so that mean, means he had to be outside the community. And so the healing was one part, but the cleaning, the cleansing was another part. It, it was one thing for him to not have that physical thing, that, that barrier, but it was another thing to not have the barrier between him and, and the rest of his community. And so he's coming there trusting. He needs this touch of heaven and, and Jesus. He's moved with compassion. And again, anger might not be a, a soft enough uh, word for, for how he feels about sickness, how he feels about when we are hurting. We, we will be uh, as, as we're physical beings, but, but Jesus, he's, he's angry at this leprosy. And what it says is when he he reached out and touched this man, I'm willing, be healed. Instantly, the, the leprosy disappeared. It's as if the leprosy didn't, didn't want to be in contact with Jesus. It ran the other way because Jesus has the authority. We're seeing that the spirits know this. 
Sickness and illness knows this. Disease knows this. The fever that Simon Peter's mother-in-law had knows this. The leprosy ran away. The, the paralysis was, was gone. But the big question here when it comes to those teachers of, of religious law, Jesus can heal the paralysis of this man who was on the mat. Can he heal my own heart? What if I am actually paralyzed? What if I'm actually held back and, and I'm questioning in my heart rather than leaping out in, in faith? And so if, if I believe this, if I want to believe this, what am I going to do about it? I think it's going to require something of us and perhaps something together. But if I believe God can do this, what am I willing to do? Faith, remember, is action. It's not just thinking or feeling. Father, we thank you for this reading that we can do together and uh, even just these first couple chapters of Mark, uh, when you explode onto the scene, things happen at, at your word, and, and when you touch someone, they are changed. And so we pray that even now your word would, would change us, your Holy Spirit would change us, that, that, yeah, if we're coming to you for healing, we can trust you with that. Ultimately, that, that in the spiritual realm, we would, we would understand that when you say we're forgiven, we are. We're changed by you. And so help us not to just read this, just, just to say that we've done it, but, but help us to reflect on this and be changed and trust in your authority and place ourselves willingly under the authority you've been given. Please change us. And as we've already been praying for, for whatever is stirring up in a variety of communities uh, in our land and beyond, would, would you stir something up in our hearts? in this church, in this place, in our community now. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.